Welcome to RCV Clips, short recordings and interviews designed to introduce listeners to helpful tools and brief explanations about ranked choice voting and how this voting method works. These clips are produced by the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center, a compilation of best practices and first-hand experiences from jurisdictions that have used ranked choice voting, also known as RCV. The website, www.rankedchoicevoting.org, and the overall project serve as resources for election administrators, voters, policymakers, candidates, and for anyone who wants to learn more about ranked choice voting. We are not advocacy-focused. Rather, we aim to provide resources that allow jurisdictions to implement RCV effectively and efficiently. The RCV Resource Center team is comprised of former election administrators who have conducted statewide, municipal, and district RCV elections. Welcome to the October 2018 episode of RCV Clips. I'm Karen Brinson-Bell, an election administration consultant with the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. Today I'm actually talking with two of my colleagues from the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center, George Gilbert and Chris Hughes. For 25 years, George oversaw elections in Guilford County, North Carolina. Chris's work centers on the intersection of the law and election administration. Together, Chris and George have led the RCV Resource Center's efforts to better understand post-election audits and how to apply audit practices to ranked choice voting elections. In this episode, we will try to condense into a brief podcast what could actually be the subject matter for a book series. So let's get started with a question for Chris. Chris, if you could, in just a few sentences, provide our listeners with a basic understanding of post-election audits and the conventional audit practices traditionally in place. Sure. Yeah, I'll try and keep it relatively brief. So post-election audits are uh, a variety of methods that we apply to the election results that we get coming out of our voting systems, out of the computers we use to capture and count votes to make sure that the computers worked as intended, to make sure that the computers weren't hacked, that they didn't malfunction, that sort of thing, just as a check against the computers being used. And so conventional audits are the simplest form of post-election audit that we have. Because they're simple, that also means they're a bit of a blunt instrument. But I'll get to a bit about that later. In brief, conventional audits, depending on the state, sample some fixed percentage of the precincts uh, involved in an election or a race or a percentage of the ballots. And so there's states like West Virginia, which has a 3% precinct audit where they take 3% of all the precincts in in whatever election you're auditing and hand count all the ballots in those three precincts, all the ballots that went through the voting machines used in those precincts. And then they compare that hand count, the results of that hand count, against the cast vote record, the digital record of the ballots, that those same ballots that were scanned through the machines in those precincts. And if they find any discrepancies, anything where the voting machine read a ballot differently than a human did when they were hand counting, then if they find enough of those discrepancies, they'll increase the number of, of precincts or, and machines that they're auditing just because they're worried, you know, that might be an indicator of either people interfering in the election, hackers interfering in the election, or Uh, just a a malfunction on the part of the machine. And they just want to be sure that if they're seeing those errors, that they're checking to to make sure that those errors aren't widespread. And if there's enough of those errors, if they keep running into them, these audits can sometimes go all the way up to a full hand recount of whatever race or election is being audited. And to get back to my point about them being a bit of a blunt instrument, 
if it's a really uh, high turnout election, like a presidential election, 3% of the precincts in, in a state can be thousands of ballots. And that can take a really long time to actually count all of the ballots in your in those precincts. So it's just a little inefficient. And that goes hand in hand with the fact that these conventional audits, it's an arbitrary fixed percentage of these precincts that you're auditing. So conventional audits are good at testing how ballots were counted in that precinct that's being audited, and they can detect widespread system failures, but are poor at detecting coordinated or focused attacks on voting systems. That's something I'll talk about later about uh, different methods of auditing. So, you know, you get some assurance from conventional audits, but you don't get full assurance that the whole election is essentially insulated from uh, hackers or, or some sort of malfunction. But they can catch that if, if a particular precinct had issues with their machines. Okay. So with that overview, I want to pull George in to talk about election audits he's actually conducted and how some of the audit practices he's done go beyond what is considered a conventional audit. So, George, if you could tell us about your experience. Thank you, Kieran. Uh, North Carolina did things a little different um, from a lot of the states. Uh, we began doing post-election audits for every election. Uh, starting in 2006. But unlike most states, North Carolina law did not specify a fixed percentage of precincts or machines to be audited. Rather, the scope of the audit was designed by a professional statistician. Then the voting units to be audited were not even selected until the day after the election. These could include precincts, early voting locations, or the by-mail ballots. And these units were selected in an open session by the state, and then the counties were assigned between two and five voting units each. So you may get two precincts, you may get three, four, five precincts, or you may get a precinct and an early voting site, or you may get a precinct and the by-mail ballots. So, but we didn't know that until after election day. Now, the contest that was selected was generally the highest contest on the ballot, though this was not necessarily the, uh, always the case. Our audits, as is kind of standard, employed teams of four persons with mixed party affiliation. Now, we in North Carolina had both DRE with VPAT and optical scan voting systems. So the specific procedures used in each county depending on the voting system used. Each team would take the ballots or the VPAT tapes and hand counted them, and then that count was compared to the original machine tabulation for that voting unit. Now in Guilford County, we had DRM equipment with, with a VPAT, and a precinct generally required maybe an hour to an hour and a half to complete. Obviously, a larger precinct took longer. Uh, an early voting site that may have eight or 10,000 votes uh, took considerably longer. We always hoped we wouldn't get assigned an early voting site. And these results were then reported to the state. Now, after that, the big difference was that a subsequent statistical analysis was performed by the statistician to confirm the validity of the election results. Using this, the audit method gave us assurances of both the accuracy of the recorded vote 
and of the overall tabulation accuracy. So we were not just verifying that, say, the cast vote record was accurate, but we were also verifying that the, the tabulation was correct. So in a nutshell, that's uh, how we conducted audits in North Carolina. So before I do a follow-up question with George, I'll just point out for those who aren't as familiar with DRE, which are direct record uh, voting machines, and then the term VPAT, that's Voter Verified Paper Audit Trail, all these acronyms that we use in elections. Just wanted to make you familiar with that. So with that understanding, George, could you talk about how this audit method was applied when North Carolina used ranked choice voting to fill a statewide judicial vacancy? Interestingly, Karen, there were minimal differences between our normal normal audit procedures and auditing of the 2010 RCV contest that we had to fill a statewide judicial vacancy. I'd say the biggest difference was that we had to look at and record all three rankings on each ballot rather than just a single voter choice. But surprisingly, the additional time this required was rather minimal. It was by no means anything close to two or three times the amount of time it would have taken to just record a single vote. And I think the same is true in places like Minneapolis and San Francisco, where their RCV audits compare the hand-counted rankings to the rankings recorded in the electronic cast vote record. Uh, they've been able to conduct these uh, audits using their normal audit procedures, and the amount of time that it takes to, to do those is not substantially greater than a normal audit. So, Chris, with what George just described, is there a shift in election administration to more statistically significant audits? Yeah, there is. And so this gets to a bit of what George was discussing and what I mentioned really briefly in my answer about conventional audits. But there's two or there's one main form of these statistically significant audits that are being piloted and and expanded in election administration right now. And that's these things called risk limiting audits. And they're called risk limiting audits because they limit the risk that the election you're auditing was subject to a hack or like malfunction of your machines. So the risk limit is this thing that's set before the audit some uh, to determine how sure you want to be that the the audit you conduct actually does test your CVR for accuracy and test the results of your election for accuracy. So that means that normally the risk limit is set about 5 or 10%. Colorado, which is doing a lot of the work to pilot this, set their risk limit, I can't remember the exact number, I think it was 9% for their first round of risk limiting audits, which they did last year. And so the risk limiting, the risk limit itself is important because it's the thing that determines how many ballots you actually need to count. The way risk limiting audits actually work is you take the results of your election, um, you determine the margin, the, the um, difference between the winning candidate and the losing candidate or candidates, and plug that into a formula, the risk limiting audit formula that then tells you how many ballots you need to hand count to be sure within your risk limit that your cast vote record, that your machines operated as expected. And so the number of ballots you need to actually count can vary a lot if your margin is small versus if your margin is large. But it's still, like George was getting at earlier, 
more efficient than conventional audits, or it tends to be, especially when you have a large margin. Um, you you might only need to audit like five or ten ballots randomly selected from throughout your whole election jurisdiction. If it's a statewide race, if it's a countywide race, if it's citywide, you might only need to grab five or ten ballots if it's a large margin. You'll need to grab more if um, if it's a closer margin, but it's still a more efficient way of actually running your audit. You just almost always will have to audit fewer ballots. And it works more or less the same way after that. After you determine your risk limit, after you determine the number of ballots you need to audit, you are still looking for discrepancies, differences between the paper and the electronic record. And if there are those discrepancies, then again, you will increase the number of ballots you're auditing up to and including a recount, just like in a conventional audit. And Colorado is also working out not just the like software underpinning of the the software you plug your results into to tell you the number of ballots you'll need to audit, but they're also working on the logistics of how you make sure you have the right chain of custody of your ballots to ensure that like no one unauthorized is interacting with your paper ballots or your or your electronic record. Um, they've also done a lot of work on randomly selecting ballots on making sure that the full risk limiting audit process is random and difficult to predict so that, you know, if someone is trying to, if you've got like a malicious actor, a hacker trying to interfere in an election, they're, they put a lot of work into randomizing the races that are selected so that uh, hackers can't try and like cover their tracks if they manage to break into machines. And it's worth noting now that there are is no record of a, a public election being hacked in this way. And then there's there's another form of audit called Bayesian audits that are more in the theoretical stage. They're not proven to be risk limiting. They're not proven to give this statistical assurance just yet, but they, and I can talk about this in a second, they, instead of risk limiting audits, try and determine the exact number of ballots you need to audit. They just take a random sample of ballots from an election that you want to audit and hand count those ballots, you determine if that sample produces the same result as the election you're trying to audit. And if it doesn't, you increase the sample size of of your hand count. This might mean you have to get to a full recount, but this is just step one of the Bayesian audit. And you're you're just trying to get a small enough sample that produces the results of the election. Um, And from there, you will grab random subsamples of that full sample of ballots. Say you have 500 ballots you've hand counted. You would cut that sample in half, take 250 ballots of those 500 and ran, run random permutations, like 500, 1,000 permutations of this through a computer to see if you get the same results of your election from these separately hand counted ballots um, as you got when you ran your election originally. And that's just another way of testing against your CVR to make sure that your computer's operated as expected in an election. Can any of these methods be used for ranked choice voting in elections? It's an important question because there's been a lot of theoretical research into applying risk limiting audits to single winner ranked choice voting elections. And so that that's theoretically possible, but the algorithm itself hasn't been built into the software that exists for risk limiting audits yet. That's the biggest hurdle we face is that it's not integrated into the processes and procedures of risk limiting audits now, but the theory is there. It's possible to do these sorts of audits. Multi-winner ranked choice voting is harder just because it's a more complex counting method. So uh, we think risk limiting audits 
may th- be possible to apply to multi-winner ranked choice voting, but it's not likely in the near future. But Bayesian audits can easily be applied to both single winner and multi-winner ranked choice voting. There's still some software development that has to be done there to make that sort of process more accessible to everyday election administrators to make it so that they can do this sort of like internally and in their own offices. But it's possible and and doable. It's just that one, that software needs to be developed into that risk limit that I discussed before, the, the statistical theoretical underpinning of Bayesian audits doing as much work as risk limiting audits to test your cast vote record still needs to be done. Um, but when that's done, then you know we'll have Bayesian audits for other forms of election, for ranked choice voting elections, for cumulative voting, for limited voting, for other forms of proportional representation that are used in Europe now and, and could be adopted in the United States. So George, while these methods are being further developed, what options do election officials have at this point to audit any election and particularly an RCV election? Karen, I think right now we have about 35 states that currently require some kind of post-election audit. And as we have pointed out, most of these employ audits of a fixed number or a fixed percentage of precincts. I think with relatively minor changes, the statistical assurance provided by these conventional audits can be enhanced and also can readily be applied to RCV elections. As we did in North Carolina, any state can employ the support of professional statisticians. This, I think, would go a long way to improving the validity of our current auditing efforts. You don't have to do any more work than you currently do, but you have to do it in a more systematic, professionally designed manner. And regarding RCV, as you know, RCV tabulation involves more complexity than plurality tabulation. But there are some examples of processes to use. One good one is the protocols that have been outlined by the state of California, which can effectively be applied whenever a voting system can produce a precinct by precinct RCV result. It's not that much, not that difficult to replicate a hand tabulation of a single precinct or a relatively you know, limited number of ballots. So anywhere a digital cast vote record is produced, you can also use independent verification of the tabulation results. This can be done using our Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center's Universal RCV Tabulator, which is available for free online. We have done this ourselves for both Minneapolis and the main RCV elections, and we have been able to verify that tabulation in both cases. So when you have independent tabulation, uh, even if all you can audit is the cast vote record, then you can independently verify that the tabulation was done accurately as well. All of these things can go a long way toward improving the conventional audit methods while we are waiting for the development of the more sophisticated methods. 
Well, thank you both. We've really covered some ground today, and I certainly appreciate you both being a part of today's episode and providing a brief look at a very complex topic. For those who want a more in-depth understanding, check out the webinar that Chris and George presented, which is available in the tools section of our website, www.rankedchoicevoting.org. To our listeners, thank you for joining us today for our October RCV clip. This is a monthly segment produced by the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. You can subscribe to RCV clips anywhere you get podcasts. Please take a few seconds to rate and review our podcast. Our theme music is Flutterby by Poddington Bear. Until next time, I'm Karen Brinson-Bell. On behalf of George Gilbert, Chris Hughes, and the rest of my colleagues at the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center.